Good morning, church. It is good to be with you today. Let's pray before we uh, get into our study today. Lord God, we thank you so much for uh, your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, as we delve in today uh, to your word, I ask that you would uh, guide the words that are said. Uh, Lord, that you would uh, give us ears to hear. You give us eyes to see. More than anything, that your Holy Spirit would be active in showing us what is true and what is real about you and about who we are in your eyes. Uh, Lord, we want more than anything to walk right next to you, to abide in what you say, to abide in your love and your mercy and in your grace. Lord, we also ask that you would be with uh, uh, the whole church here in Kerrville, uh, all those that claim you as Lord, and in particular today, Lord, we ask that you would bless Hosanna Lutheran Church. Uh, that you would be with them this morning as they lift up praises to you, as they worship you, uh, that you would uh, move powerfully among their people, uh, that they would know uh, the redemption story that they have and that they would share that uh, with others. ask that you be with David Bass, their pastor, that you would give him the gift of preaching this morning and uh, that everything they do this morning in worship would be pleasing to you and then you would send them out into this world uh, to show others the love of Christ. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of our Jesus and our resurrected Lord. Amen. Well, we are uh, continuing in John. We've been in the book of John for a while, and I hope that you're still with us and you've got your journal if you want to. We're going to be in John 19 today. Uh, I, we're going we're to be discussing the crucifixion. This will be some hard stuff that we're going to get into today, the crucifixion of Jesus. Uh, we're going to take a little different approach uh, on that than uh, I have before in a lot of ways, but it, it will be some hard stuff, but I, I don't want to ruin the ending for the book for you, but just so you know, there's going to be a twist after today, so I want you to know, no spoiler uh, there, but uh, there's going to be a twist ending in the next few weeks, so don't get too down about what uh, happens today. But uh, we do want to uh, delve into the crucifixion and what happened there and really what was all occurring at the cross. So I am going to ask Aiden, if he would, to come up and read our scripture today. We're going to be in John 19. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross, to a place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two, with two others, with one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not read the Jesus, the, the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. The word of the Lord. Thank you for that, Aiden. Appreciate it. Um, so what we're going to do today is we're going to spend a little time on something that is in the book of John that isn't necessarily in the other Gospels. And in particular, it's that sign. I want to focus on that sign. Now, it's talked about in the other Gospels that that sign is there. But one of the things that John does is he makes sure to point out, you need to know this was put over his head, and it said the king of the Jews, and it's written in Aramaic, and it's written in Greek, and it was written in Latin. And the reason for that was because we wanted everybody to be able to read that. They wanted that there so that as you came by, you would be able to see that sign. 
And you need to know that the reason for that is that is a big part of what the cross was. Besides the uh, unbearable physical suffering and pain, and by the way, there was a lot, and it was bad. You need to know it was bad. Uh, but beyond that, there was something about this cross that was more than just the physical pain. It was a public exhibition. The idea of the cross was that you were going to suffer and you're going to be suffering a long time, and they had engineered, man, the Romans were good, they had engineered this death to be something that would take a long time. But it wasn't just that we want it to take a long time, we want people to see it. You're going to be put up on display, and you're going to die slowly in front of people as they come in and out of the city. You were a lesson to be learned by the Romans. That was something that they wanted. And you need to know that this death of Jesus on the cross, this was a terrorist's death. There was a lot of ways to die in Rome. There was a lot of ways that you could be executed. The cross was reserved for those that were considered enemies of the state, terrorists. Somebody that was trying to take down the Roman uh, government, the Roman power and authority. And so this was a terrorist death. And the idea was that we were going to put you on display as you die. And it was brutal. Uh, you need to know that uh, a lot of what we sometimes see on TV is, is watered down in a lot of ways. But you have to think about this is to go, really, what you had was somebody up there spread out, for the most part nude, uh, while they died. And it was for days. And so there were all manner of bodily functions that happened over the course of those days. There was blood. There was filth uh, throughout the whole thing. It was a horrible, horrible way to die. But the main thing about it was... The shame, the idea that you have nothing to hide, we will pin you up on this place for others to see, and they will get to watch you where there is nothing for you to hide. There's no way for you to have any dignity. There's no way for you to have any privacy. All that is stripped from you. And that's what the cross was in a lot of ways. It's about shame, and that's what I want us to talk about today is about this idea of we're going to put this sign over your head and then we're going to put you out for everybody to watch. And shame is going to be a huge part of this. And it reminds me uh, and always takes me to one of my favorite scriptures in Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. This is what it says. The Hebrew writer talks about this and it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Scorning its shame. That's one of my favorite verses in Scripture is the idea of scorning shame and what that means. You need to understand shame was such a huge part of this that while you're up there and you're on display and you have this sign over your head, it lends itself to people to come by to watch you like some sort of creepy show and at the same time to hurl insults to you. If you look at Luke, you'll see that everybody was hurling insults at him. The guards were actually hurling insults at him. The, the religious leaders were hurling insults at him. Even the people that were crucified next to him were giving him, hey, if you're God, if you're who you say you are, if you're this Savior, what's the problem here? Why don't you come down? It's this mocking. It's this mocking tone that comes there. And then you have Hebrews where it talks about Jesus scorning its shame. And that's a powerful phrase because it's proactive. 
it is an aggressive phrase in a lot of ways because it talks about he endured the cross, but he scorned the shame. And it's like in some ways the cross happened to him and he endured it, but he happened to shame. In other words, he did something to shame. The cross did something to him that he endured, but he scorned shame. That word scorn is to despise, is to show contempt for, it's literally to think down on. In other words, the idea was that Jesus went to the cross, he looked at shame, and he said, I'm taking that on. That is something that needs to be met and it needs to be defeated. It's this active term. Like Jesus looked at it and says, this stuff has to die and it has to go away. And that's what a huge part of the cross was. Shame had to die on the cross. Of all of the things that were nailed up there that died, shame was a big part of it. And I'll tell you why. This is how damaging shame can be. Because shame is the belief in a diminished worth because of a shortcoming. You are worthless because of what you have done. Shame says you didn't just mess up, you are a mess. Shame says you're not as valuable as you used to be because you messed up in this way, because of the things that you've done. Shame says you didn't just make a mistake, you are a mistake. And it will follow you all of your days. As a matter of fact, shame just says, let's put a sign over you that says you are damaged goods, your value has been lowered, and you are a mistake. That's what shame does. And it's a force. It's a power and a force in this world. And it's amazing how it attacks all of us. And it's something that needed to be dealt with. And so Jesus, stripped down, nude, on the cross had this sign placed over his head. And it was kind of the ultimate cancel culture move, right? We talk about this cancel culture we're in where we go, hey, this is what you did, and so now you're worth nothing. And this idea of putting this sign over his head that goes, this is the guy who claims to be king of the Jews. This is who he is. And you need to know it's not just ironic that they put that up there. It was a mocking thing. It's the ultimate cancel culture move. You are worthless, because of what you've done. It was filthy, and it was ugly. That's what shame is, and that's why it needs to be dealt with. And only Jesus could scorn it and look down on it and defeat it. That sign, this, this is the king of the Jews. It, it was meant to go, here's your end. I'm gonna, we're going to describe your end. This is why you're up here. You said this about yourself, you failed in every way, and this is what happens to people like you. That's what Rome wanted more than anything, is to go, we're going to put you on display and go, this is what happens when people claim that sort of authority in this place, when people claim to be that. You are here because this is who you are. This is the result of you and what you did and others like you, and this is the finale of your existence. You know, we, we put so much into the idea of a tombstone, and we have that, and there's lots of people that have thought about that. You may have and go, this is what I'd like written as my final words and my resting place. And what happens with shame and what they did there is Rome takes that and they go, we will write your final words, and we will display it over your head. It's the most brutal of epitaphs. It's to identify you as what we say you are and to devalue you. It was the idea of we're going to take your worst action 
and we're going to put it over your head, and we're going to make it who you are. This will be your greatest failure, and we'll label you with it. And as a matter of fact, the idea that Jesus would have claimed to be the king of the Jews and then to be hanging there and then to put that sign, it might as well have just written up there, this is a fraud. He's no king. This is a failure. He didn't bring any new kingdom. This is an imposter. He's not the son of God. This is an abandoned person. All of his followers have run off. He's unloved, he's alone, and he's a joke. That's really what that label and that sign was above him. And the thing is, those are all the words that every one of us fear will be used about us. Unloved, failure, fraud, alone, a joke. is something we all deal with in every way. We all have this fear that we will be described and we'll be labeled by our actions and by our worst actions. That our identity and what we've done are the same thing. And that's what needed to die. See, shame takes hold of us in two different ways. There's shame because and then there's shame if. So if I can, I want to work, work through that a little bit with you. Shame because is the idea of I look back at what I've done. Shame because is the shame that we all fear if you were to see all of the things that I've actually done. If you were to see my flaws, my sins, the ugliness in my past of what I've done, if you were to see the worst of me, you would want nothing to do with me. You would abandon me. And you need to know that's a credible fear if you don't know the gospel. It's very credible because it's true in so many different circumstances. That's the way our world operates in a lot of things, right? I mean, my goodness, we've got it to where we can record everything now. It is really easy to go back and grab your worst moment on video, put it out for the world to see and go, this is who they are. And I want to tell you, man, if you had a running video of my worst moments, I don't think you'd be listening to me. I fear that you would look at me and go, you got no business standing up there talking to us. If you were to take the moments where I've lost my temper, where I thought had evil thoughts, the times where I, I said ugly things to other people, my worst moments, the big fear is the idea of going, that's who I would be. And if that's who I am in your eyes, you wouldn't want anything to do with me. That's shame because. And it looks back. If you were to see that running video, I'm sure you feel the same way. It's to go, man, if you had a running video of all of my worst moments and you put that out and that's who I became. So what we do in this world is we go hide it. If you got bad stuff, if you've made mistakes, if you've messed up, if you're guilty in some way, which we all are, then hide it. The whole point that you need to do in this world that we talk about is you need to hide it. Now, here's the issue with this is we have this desire to go, I don't want you to see the worst parts of who I am. While at the same time, as human beings, our greatest desire is to be completely known and to be loved anyway. All of us have that. Is this idea that while at the same time I want to hide the worst parts about myself, we have this desire deep within us that God gave us to go, what I really want is for you to know everything about me, even my worst parts, and to say, I love you anyway. That's our greatest desire. And it's, 
It's this tragic thing in the world if you don't know Christ. This idea to hide from the rest of the world what I'm so afraid I actually am while at the same time wanting you to know who I really am so that we can have a real relationship. That's what the world says about your guilt. It said, hide it, hide guilt so that you can avoid shame. And that's what the world wants you to do because it fears guilt. Because here's the thing with the world. It has no place to take guilt except to shame. There's no way to get rid of it. There's no way to have it taken away. There's no place to go with it except to take it all the way to shame. And we see that. We see that constantly with people where you go, I'm just going to pull up this moment. Here's their worst moment. We put it on here and we go, well, they're done. Don't want to have anything to do with them anymore. And we can write them off. Because there's no other place to go with guilt except to fear that it's actually who I am and it will become my identity. Moves from what I did to who I am. That's the problem with shame. So to avoid shame, we constantly try and hide our guilt. Some of us are hanging on to some stuff from our past. You have a defective sign, maybe that was given to you by some parents when you were a kid, with some awful things that were said. Maybe you heard some of those where you're stupid, you're worthless, you're not lovable, you're not important. We carry that around with us for a long time, those awful things that were said because they're too easy to believe and they lead to this thing that shame has that says, maybe that's who I am. Or we have these mistakes and these things that we've done and we go, this worst moment that I have, when I was at my worst, that it would come up and I start to believe that's who I am. That's what identifies me is my worst thing that I did, whether it was an addiction or a guilt or a sin, or a mistake, or even something that happened to me, this idea that that's who I am. And it changes us. It is so damaging. I saw it one time with one of my kids. I remember this move from guilt to shame. These are not the same thing. Guilt is what you've done. Shame is who you are. And I remember one of my daughters, when she was a teenager, she had gotten in trouble. We, we caught her. We caught her messing up. You know this feeling, you know, Melissa and I, and we were like, Hey, where were you? Oh, I was here, and it, it wasn't true. It was a lie. I was, I was at X, and we already knew it was a lie. You know, you know how you give them that shot to go, here, you can tell me the truth, and they go, no, I'm not taking that shot. I'm, I'm really going to tell you this is what I, and we had her. That's not true. That's not where you are. We know what you were doing. And I remember as we talked about it, and she came clean about it with, with her guilt, this is what I did. I lied. I was where I was not supposed to be, doing what I was not supposed to be. This, as this came, there, this, I remember watching her head sink and go down. And so we talked about it for a little while, and I remember saying, baby girl, look at me. And she goes, I can't. I can't. That head down, I can't look you in the eye. And I remember being shocked by that and going, oh, no. We just moved from guilt to shame. We just moved from, yeah, you messed up, to my daughter going, I'm afraid you look at me differently. I can't look you in the eye. And I remember getting angry and going, no, 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 no. No, not my child. You don't hang your head like that. Just because you messed up, you do not hang your head. You don't ever have a time where you can't look me in the face. I'm your daddy. You can look at me. This doesn't change anything about us. This doesn't change our relationship in any way. 
That's the problem with shame because of what I've done, is that we hide our guilt to avoid our shame, and the problem is it keeps us from being able to look our Savior in the face because we start thinking, he'll think different of me because of what I've done. That's what shame does. Then there's shame if. Shame if is different than shame because. Shame because has me looking backwards at the things that I've done. Shame if has me really looking forward in a lot of ways. Shame if is the shame that results if the image I've created for myself fails. See, to avoid this idea of what I've done, what I can do is promote my best self to avoid any sort of shame. So I won't let my guilt define me. I'll define me. So what I'll do is I will put forth who I am. I'll write my own sign, and I'll put it up there. It's the good stuff that I portray about myself. I'll build my own identity. I'll make a rolling video instead of all the negative things of all my best moments. And it will say success and happy and lovable and popular. And these are the things that I put out there. And you can see that too. And man, it's, it's in living color for us. It's in social media in so many ways, right? On one hand, you can have somebody grab your video of your worst moment and put it out and ruin you. On the other hand, what you can do is grab all of your best moments and put them out and go, this is who I am. You see it, right? I don't know how many times I've looked at people's Facebook pages or something like that, and all you see is we're traveling here and everything's great, and our marriage is great, and this is great, and this is great, and this is great, and then you find out everything's falling apart. Everything's not great. There's this image that was built that was put forward because I'm afraid I'm not these things. So I keep putting them out there to make sure that you can see who I am. That's the shame if. As long as I have this good sign that says success, that says lovable and loved and belonging, then I'm okay. The problem is, is that it takes constant propping up. I'm constantly having to keep putting something out there that goes, this is who I am, this is who I am. This is who I am, because I don't even know if I believe it. So I have to keep putting that out there to try and convince myself and to try and convince you. So we make our own sign, and then we have to protect it, because if it falls, oh, the shame. The shame that would happen if it falls. We start realizing it's written in temporary ink, and it can't last in any way. And the idea of what Jesus did on the cross was to destroy every one of those signs. He killed all of them. So that he can save us from the awful ones, and then he can save us from the seemingly good ones, too. I saw a couple of uh, documentaries not long ago about this, and I remember I was thinking about this, and then you see it. There was this one that was titled uh, College Admission Scandal, Varsity Blues. And if you know this, this is the story about these uh, successful movie stars uh, in, in California, right? They're famous. They've had success. And then they have these kids, they live in these huge houses, they have everything that they need, and their kids are going to these wonderful schools. And what happened was, you had these people that are famous who seem to have everything together in every way, and they lied about their kids' background so that they could get scholarships in the school. And they didn't need to. They'd get in anyway. And they had the money to do this anyway. But the great fear was, we've built this image for ourselves and our kids. And if this falls, if we're not seen as successful and wonderful in every way and wanted and desired, then we'd fall to this shame. So they lied about it. They lied about something they already had because it was never enough. 
You can't ever keep propping that sign up enough. And it was this great fear that if you saw me for what I really was and all of this fell, I wouldn't know how to deal with it because I wouldn't know what my identity was if I didn't have all of these good things. There was another one that I saw, and this is, a, this is an obscure one. I don't know if any of you have ever seen this. It's called Derek Delgado's In and of Itself. And it's a documentary about a guy who does a one-man show in New York, and he's part magician, part motivational speaker. It's really a fascinating, fascinating documentary. And what he does is he has this little private room, and it showed people coming in, and a lot of them were celebrities. And they would come in there. So, I mean, it was Bill Gates was coming in there and some other folks that were coming in to see in this small room. And one of the things that happened is as you come in, he had all of these cards on a wall hanging. And it was all of these words. And you're, what he told you was as you come in, you need to pick one that defines you. Like there was one that was teacher, and there was one that was uh, entrepreneur, one that says success. But there was also one that said failure, and one that said fraud. And, there was one. and so what you're supposed to do is you walk through and you pick off the one that represents you. And then you go in and you sit down. And then Derek, who does this, he, like I said, he told this story about his childhood. And he would talk about, you know, when I was this age, this is what I thought, and I messed up in this way. And I'm glad that that, that was who I was at that time. And then this represents this part of my life and who I was here. And then he tells another story. And this represents who I am at this point. And it was all of these uh, times in his life that he was talking about who he was. And he almost got it right because at the end, one of the things that he talks about is this idea that he leads people to this place to go, you are not the events that happen in your life. That's not your identity. I'm going, yes, that's right. That's right. You're not. And instead, though, here's the problem. He had nowhere else to go. So he had him stand up. And he had done this trick that maybe you've seen before that magicians do to where he had him stand up and he mentioned by name, every one of the cards that they had picked up. Like, he hadn't seen them. They'd all been turned in. But he was, he was saying, because I see a teacher, and I see, you know, a success, and I see an Adonis, and I see... And it was all of the things that they picked. And, of course, they're moved, and they're amazed that he can do this. But this is what he says, and I want to put this up here. Your true identity is that which exists in one's own heart and is seen by another. It's what is, exists in one's own heart and is seen by another. So the idea, when they came in, and I remember watching this and going, this is so sad. Because besides the fact of having entrepreneur and success, you had loser and you had fraud. And so if that's what you picked on that day and you stood up and he goes, fraud, you picked it, I affirm it. That's who you are. And I remember thinking, what a crock. What a, what a load of bull. This idea that you are what you think you are on that day. And if I affirm it, then that makes it true. And you realize that is sinking sand, folks. That cannot withstand your identity and who you are. That'll change on a whim. I can have a bad day and come in and identify as loser, where I can have another good day and come in and go, I'm king of the world. And all I need is one other person to affirm that. In other words, one like next to it, one heart next to it, one reaction from somebody, and that's who I am. 
There is no way in the world that your identity can be that flimsy. Not when there's a God that has made you, that created you, and that loves you. You are not your circumstances. You are not your best feeling about yourself or your worst. You are no sign that you have made. It doesn't matter how hard I work to polish that sign and put it up there about who I am. My behavior cannot bear the weight of making it eternally true. just can't. That is totally reliable on how I perform, reliant on how I perform. And that's why you need to know that Jesus scorned it. The idea of shame that he went, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm taking all of this. All of this fear that you have. All of this shame for if they found out what you were. Or the shame that you'd have if you didn't live up to what you thought. And all of it's going to be nailed to the cross. And it's going to die. And it's going to be gone. Jesus makes that distinction on the cross for us between guilt and shame. Between action and worth. They are not in any way connected. That's the good news of Christ. Your worth and your actions are not connected. It's what God says about you. So what the cross did was it took that shame and then it put it on display in the way that Jesus was killed to shine the light of Christ on it and defeat it so that shame died on the cross with Jesus. It was buried and it was left behind at the resurrection. That part did not resurrect. It didn't come back. That's why I love Colossians 2.15 too. If you think about this one, this is what Paul said about Jesus. And having disarmed the powers and the authorities, those like shame, that's a power, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. A public spectacle, a public example. He exposed shame for what it is and killed it. But it needed to go right up there where you could see it. It needed to be there. Shame had to be there on the cross so they could die on the cross. That sign that was up there took every one of our signs. All of the stuff that I'm afraid of, all of the stuff that I've done, every bit of those, everybody's sign went up there, and it all died with Christ. We don't have to make that. Even the best sign we can create is a poor imitation of the one that Christ has given us. When he said, you're redeemed because of what I did. You don't have to worry about your behavior. It's my behavior. I will redeem you. I will make you whole. I will set your worth. I will make you loved. And it won't be changed by anything that you did. But it does demand that you deal with what he did. You got to deal with it. The idea that Jesus died on the cross that way, that he took shame, that it was there, that it died, and then the resurrection. It's not something you can go, well, that's kind of nice, and that's kind of good. you got to deal with this. It is not something that happened in a vacuum. Either it is who you are, because God says so, or you live outside of that. That's what makes us people of God. Is we are folks that claim that and go, yeah, I'm different because of what he did there. Shame died. I don't have that anymore. I don't have that fear anymore. I'm what he says I am. He was buried in baptism with Christ when you became his. But here's the deal. If you don't belong to Christ, if you don't face that of what he did on the cross and in the resurrection, then there's no way to shake shame. It's just no way to get away from it. It's a force and it's a power and it's going to grab you and it's going to take hold of you and it's going to lie to you and you're going to believe it. You gotta have Christ. You gotta believe that He put that to death. 
That's why we look at the cross. And I know the idea of the crucifixion and the cross, it brings a lot of different emotions. There's sorrow and there's joy at the same time. Because here's the deal. The cross is about guilt and it's about shame. Jesus took on the guilt of the world, and that includes all of mine, and it includes all of yours. And it's true guilt. We have it. We know that. We know we have guilt for disappointing God. And it's important that we recognize that, because if we don't, then we deny the power of the cross and what was happening there. So true sorrow about the cross, that's okay. It's okay to go, oh man, I hate that he had to go through that. But then you can't let guilt become shame, because then you deny the power of the cross again. So what it is is the idea of going, oh, I needed him. Yeah, I've let God down. But here's the deal. That all went there, and he took care of that. That is not who I am. I'm redeemed. I'm saved. I'm a new person. I'm a new creation. The point of the cross is that it takes the guilt and it destroys the shame. May we be people who always know that shame was killed there. We do not live with that. Your heavenly father looks at you the same way. Lift your head, child. You look at me. You don't ever have to feel like you cannot look me in the eyes or that I feel differently about you. That has been taken care of. We put that to death. It was nailed on the cross and it was buried. While the world says, take all of the bad stuff that you have and hide it, Jesus says, no, we're going to destroy it with the light. I'm going to shine the light on it and I'm going to kill it. And I'm going to take it down. He who had no guilt bore all the shame so that we who are guilty are free from shame. And we never have it. Amen? It's okay to say it. Amen. That's right. And the neatest thing about this is the explanation that comes from this at the beginning of Hebrews again. And this is what you need to remember. Is that he scorned the shame. Why? Because of the joy set out before him. That's you. You're the joy set out before him that would make him go and say, I'm taking on shame, and I'm going to kill that. And this is one of the hardest things, I think, with us, is to understand that what Jesus is actually doing is going, it's not just that I love you because I have to because I'm God. You're actually my joy. I delight in you. I think one of the hardest things for me to come to grips with when I was growing up is it's not just that Jesus loves me because he can. He actually likes me. It takes great delight in us. We're his joy. May we always remember that we are the people with no shame. Guilt has been taken care of, and we're the joy that he has. Stand with me, please, and we're going to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for your great love. We thank you for uh, Jesus' courage and his love and his mercy to go and take on shame on the cross. Lord, we are sorrowful that you had to go through that, that our Savior had to expose himself in that way, that he had to be ridiculed, that um, he had to be called a fraud in so many ways. But at the same time, Lord, we claim victory in the fact that his kingdom was being built right there amid uh, the calls to him that said that he was a fraud and that said he was alone and that he was abandoned. He was making a new kingdom at that time that we belong to. And in that kingdom, we have no shame and we have no guilt because we belong to you and that's been taken care of. Lord, those that are here in this room that don't yet uh, know the joy that comes from being redeemed by you, Lord, we ask that you would call them to you. 
that you would uh, touch their heart, that you would draw them to you, that they would be set free and understand this is the biggest part of belonging to Christ, is that we have no shame and we have no guilt. We are loved. We will never be abandoned. We will always be given every bit of mercy and every bit of grace that we need. We pray all of this in the name of our resurrected Savior, Jesus. Amen.